Hello, Maxine Sima, a convicted Kimraig, Ryan and Rob. Hi, Maxine here, Ryan and Rob's Welsh translator. The Hing Grando are Podlidiad Newid, Fearless in Devotion. You're listening to Fearless in Devotion, a new podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Christ on all, welcome back to Fearless in Devotion. A bit of a different one today. This podcast will just be the second part of the Spencer Harris interview. And to be fair to Spencer, it's worth noting that the interview was recorded before the Kings Lynn game. So obviously, events have been moving quite quickly with the coaching team let go and the club announcing its retained list for next season, of course, as well as the Dagenham and Redbridge uh, disaster. So do bear that in mind when you're listening. However, Spencer does reveal some new information, including some fascinating detail about the whole Sam Ricketts debacle. Next up on the pod, we're delighted to be joined by Bryn Law. If you have any questions for Bryn, or if there's something you want us to cover, then please do email us. Fearlessindevotion at gmail.com is the address. Anyway, enough from me. Here's the second part of the Spencer Harris interview. So Keats has left, we've had uh, Andrew Davis, it hasn't really worked out. And the next person they plumped for is a bit of a wild card, not really one that many Wrexham fans had seen. They'd gone from like the club legend, they'd gone from the guy who's done it in, in the National League, they went for Sam Ricketts. Now, on the face of it, when I first heard this, I was scratching my head, but when I learned more and more about the fella, it actually turned out to be a, a good decision. So if you could take us through sort of Sam, how you got him, but also... I think we also have to address how he left, Spencer. Yep. Okay. Well, um, Sam, um, so we we always involved um, people from uh, the football staff, whether that be, um, you know, the likes of your Carl Darlington's or your, you know, Graham Barrow when he was with us and things. In If, if you're going to make decisions on... On football people, you, you try and involve football people, right? Um, so we we would all always do that, and and we got to hear uh, a bit about Sam. Obviously, played at a really high level, was a Welsh international, so comes with uh, you know played in the Premier League, so come with a lot of high standards as used to uh, playing at that level. But we also had lots of insights into the you know how good a coach he was. Um, you know what he was doing at Wolves and how highly rated he was at Wolves, and, and that he was looking to get on the managerial uh, ladder. So uh, we um, he, he put in uh, his application, and, and we got him in for an interview. And he absolutely blew us away with uh, the amount of research he did in such a small amount of time, and, and how he could get his clarity of thinking and message message across about what he would do with our football club. And so I think the season, his recruitment was pretty good. I think we were doing doing quite well. And I think it became, it was a bit of a, sh- a shock to all of us when the rumours about Shrewsbury started circulating. 
Well, he did sign Tondock. <laughs> I mean, I remember that 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 awful overhead kick in uh, in Tobo. So you know, did give me some good memories. Just just a story about uh, Mike Mike Fondock, the player's house. Uh, there was a broken socket at the house, so I went to fix the, the socket. At, uh, so you would leave all the stuff I've been involved in. And so I went to fix, uh, fix the socket. So um, I knocked, uh, I got a key off Geraint. I knocked on, on the door. Uh, it didn't appear that any, anybody was in. So I knocked and, uh, and blah, blah, nobody answered, nobody came. So I used the key and, and, and in I went um, to go fix this socket. And I got the stairs with my toolkit and I get onto the uh, onto the landing to the small bedroom where this broken uh, socket was, and Mike Fondon comes out of his room just in a pair of boxer shorts. Thought I was a big lad. <laughs> 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 he was a big lad. He tried to kick you and missed. <laughs> no, he, it, it was fine. <laughs> and and he uh, he said, "Oh my!" He, he was frightened to death. He was. <laughs> he was more frightened than I was. <laughs> So, yeah, he was a big fella, fair play, if he wanted to do some damage. Yeah, yeah, no, he was. But that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, when you're working with the budget that we are and the plays you can get in, there's always going to be hits and misses, isn't it? And, you yeah. know, I think he started pretty well. I don't think it was... It, no, he did, he did, he did well. Um, by the end of that season, if we'd have beaten Leighton Orient once, either at home or away, we'd have won the league. Yeah, I go back to even stuff like Brad Walker getting injured against Orient, which is the most wrecking thing ever. Yeah, yeah, it killed our season because I think he was the pivotal person in that side. Um, and that yeah. game we lost so, against Orient, it really was one of those ones that we could have won one nil away. Yeah, especially. they just had a they had a really good strike who was on form at the time. Uh, McCall, I can't remember. Bon or whatever his name Crowley was. Bon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and he was just on a purple patch when we played him, and he was the difference, unfortunately. Actually, there was their right back who hadn't scored all bloody season who popped up with a twenty-five yarder. Well, yeah. Well, there was another one at Eastleigh who did the plumbing same in the playoffs. Mm, yeah. What about Ricketts leaving then, Spencer? I, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure. Um, that this is what I think happened. I, I, I don't. I don't know. I'm not telling you facts. This is a, a, a version of of what I think happened. Is you know Dave Edwards, uh, the ex Welsh international, big mates with him, a Salopian. Um, I, I think he was the one whispering in Sam's ear behind the scenes. I, I don't know that for a fact, so I might be uh, I, I might be uh, saying something that's incorrect. So I just make make that clear. Um, but you know the interest. We, we started to hear rumours of uh, the interest uh, of of Shrewsbury, and um, the you know the players heard the same thing, and form started to dip a little bit. If if you remember, um, and uh, you know then we we did get the the interest, and you know they uh, they put the offer as per his contract, and he he, he was allowed to speak to them. Uh, and then there was a period whereby they weren't agreeing contracts. Um, now, between myself and Graham Barrow, we both spent a lot of time trying to persuade Sam not to go. That you know, he needed a body of work because the guy is a very talented coach. I think he could be a, a top manager, but he needed a body of work behind him to because you. There's one thing. There's only one thing more certain, or there's only a few things certain in management. That's 
uh, that, that's as well as taxes that you're going to get the sack at some point. But you need a body of work behind you to be able to say, if, if it doesn't go well somewhere, that you can point to that and you get another chance. You know, to leave Wrexham, go to, you know, a smaller club, in my view, in Shrewsbury Town, even though they're higher up the uh, the, the league uh, pyramid and, and the team I detest more than any other. Um <laughs> <laughs> we'll come on to that ahead. later. We'll come the on to why you ahead. Ahead. The day I, we're ahead of that club will be a day I rejoice. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, the, you know, that was the line of trying to tell him not to go. Graham Barrow was uh, having similar conversations with him. But, you know, Sam, very ambitious manager and decided, you know, I can make this work. It's League One. But you go to League One with a club that a smaller club than Wrexham who are never going to have a big budget in, in that division. And, you know, what can you do? Uh, and how are you going to get a body of work behind you? If you if you get Wrexham promoted, which I think we'd have had a really good chance of doing had he stayed, um, then you've got something on your CV to fall back on. Um, and as it's turned out, uh, you know, he lasted about 18 months at, at Shrewsbury. And, you know, he's, he's not in work at the moment. You know, I like Sam. I, I, I get on well with most people that I, that I work with. Um, I, I I like to think that I can mould my character to sort of get on with most people. Not everybody, but with most people. Um, and and with Sam, um, you know, he hadn't made his mind up, and, and we needed to sell up. We've got a, a game live on telly against Newport in the mm-hmm. FA Cup. Everybody knows your uh, your considering the Shrewsbury job, and you've been offered it. How can we stand you on the sidelines in front of the TV cameras? You need to make up your mind. Are you staying or are you going? Um, and it was around the Christmas time. And I was I, I was talking to him while I was putting my Christmas tree up, actually. Um, and, you know, we talked as a board and, and the board gave me the go ahead to say uh, that, you know, if, if you're not making your mind to stay, you're not coming to the game. Um, and that's what I had to tell him. He wasn't very happy, um, as you can imagine, the con- how the conversation went. But I do believe it was the right thing to do for the football club. And if you remember that game, we had, we played extremely well. We, the, the, the atmosphere was amazing in the ground that night. And we were really unlucky that we didn't win the game at home. How did he react to that? Was he angry or was he more upset? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, quite rightly, the guy was still the football the football manager of Wrexham Football Club and I, and we did respect that, but we also had to respect the football club at the same time. And it was a really difficult decision and a, and a, and a really, you know, fine balancing act. But, you know, Sam made the decision, you know, the best decision for him and what he thought was for his career. And and I got no, you know, no real problem with that. Um, but we had to do what was right for what we thought was right for Rex and Football Club at the time. I still haven't forgiven him for those giant flames in the tunnel, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> well, everybody, everybody, everybody will have their opinions on on uh, how different people, uh, you know, see different things. So uh, they, they look quite tidy, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, a bit of a delay, but I'm still wondering why Mike Fondop didn't answer the door. <laughs> I, I don't know why he didn't answer the door. His bedroom, his bedroom was above the door. <laughs> what was Mike Fondop doing? Why didn't he answer? He's either a deep sleeper or he's got something going on. So there we are. Oh, the walls could talk in that. 
house. We, we talked. We talked about this before the start of Honestly, I'm not suggesting one thing that's coming out of your gut and mine, not mine. <laughs> I tell you what, if the, if the um, if the documentary makers what what a reality show, get you, get some cameras in on that house. Yeah, bring Glenn Little back as a special guest. We, we we don't want to spend sort of uh, ten minutes on each manager, but you know w- what happened next because I think the whole Graham Barrow episode was a was one of those episodes where I think a lot of people were unhappy with how it was dealt with, weren't they? Yeah, and um, so um, when when Sam uh, left, we put Graham in temporary charge, and um, we highlighted uh, a manager who we would like to take over at the football club and, and started conversations with him and his agent. Um, and we spent two weeks talking and getting to, um, getting to what was a, an agreed contract, basically, not signed, but in terms of the terms of it, not an agreement that he would definitely come, but agreement that those terms were, were fine for him to come and be the manager of the football club. And um, after two weeks of discussion and getting us to and getting to that point where we thought that's the way we were going, um, he decided to stay where he was. Can we say who uh, that is? Uh, I, I don't. I think most people know who that is, right? Um, I, I think most people know who that is. I, I don't think it's fair on me to uh, to reveal names like that, but I, I, I think you know most people know who that that per- person was and, and he's a he's a good person and he's and he stayed in a good job um so i, I got it's not an issue with that but the issue for us was we've now within a within a season whereby we're trying to get promotion we're doing really well and um and you know we've spent two weeks now uh kissing somebody who ended up not coming um so it 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 left us with a challenge. The applications that we had at that particular point weren't particularly strong. Um, and we involved, um, we'd involved uh, Graham in the process, Graham Barrow, because he was going to stay as assistant. And we sat down after we got the final turn down and we looked at the applications again. And Graham said, well, I can do a better job than any of them. I'll take it. You know, I'd like to have a go. Um, so we discussed it as a board. Um, you know we've been doing uh, we've been doing really well under under Graham, and you know we decided to uh, to go with it and go with continuity um, because things had, had had been going really well under Graham. And if you remember back to that season, you know our best two performances of the season actually came under Graham Barrow. Won the Newport home game in the cup, and then the the game against Salford where we stuffed them five uh, one at the racecourse in front of almost nine thousand fans. So, so yeah. So uh, Graham came in, um, took the job, and I'm not going to re- reveal any confidences. But um, Graham had some personal issues, um, and uh, told us that uh, just a few short months later that uh, he could no longer stay in the job and he needed to get out of out of the job um, due to the personal issues that he had. Um, and that's hence why um, we ended up uh, with with Graham uh, Graham leaving as as manager. 
did he actually want it in the first place, really? Well, he was the man who said, I just explained to you exactly how it happened. Um, so if that's not a, I want the job, um, you know, nobody offered it to him or asked him to do it. Or, you know, he we sat down and we always involved football people in football decisions where we could. You know, Graham sat there and looked at the, uh, at the CVs with us because our plan was to keep Graham involved as assistant manager if it's all possible. Uh, because he was doing a tremendous job in, as assistant manager, uh, so much so that Sam Ricketts ended up eventually taking him to uh, Shrewsbury again as his assistant manager. Um, so, you know, that, that that's how it came about. Fair enough. If we sort of fast forward to the next one, I mean, all through the manager appointments, I can see where the club and the trust are coming from. I can, yeah, I can see that either through, either through, you know, having them for a couple of months or, or, or knowing about their background, I can see your decision making. The one thing I can't really, the managerial point that I can't really see is Brian Hughes. I know he's a club legend, but I just didn't see something that you said in body of work. So yeah. I just, just wonder if how, how you sort of came to that, that decision that Brian was, was the man. So um, we, we we talked a couple of minutes ago that, about Sam Ricketts as well, and Sam didn't have a body of work. Mm. Came in and did an excellent job, right? So, yeah. so you know, we've given Dean Keats. He had no body of work. We gave him his first chance in management, and he'd done really well. When Brian came in and interviewed, we, we'd spoken to Brian before about other things, and he'd always come across really well. So we invited him in uh, for an in, for an interview, and he came across. Um, very, very similar, and did uh, and, and made a very similar presentation to Sam Ricketts, um, and you know really impressed us. And, and we'd had the Sam Ricketts experience, mm. um, you know, very, very recently. We had somebody who just shown us something very, very similar. So the idea was for uh, for for Brian um, for Brian to come in. Um, and for you know, once once we made that decision, and for Graham Barrow to stay stay as his assistant, and for Mike Newell to leave, that that was the plan. Okay, but it, it didn't happen that it didn't happen that way. You know, Graham decided he couldn't take uh, Mike Newell's job um, and decided to leave, um, which, which you know, which took us very much by surprise because it you know it was contrary to you know, all of the conversations that we had. So the, the bits of the jigsaw that we put together was then the sort of the rug was pulled at, at, at the last minute, um, you know, for the, but from an honourable decision by Graham Barrow, but, you know, ultimately left us a bit high and dry. Do you think it would have been different if, if Barrow had been uh, assistant? Yeah, I think, that I, level I think, of experience? I, I think Graham would have been a massive, uh, something massive for for Brian, but you know something that people overlook. I'm not going to pretend that uh, that Brian's time as manager was a great success because you know the second season it quite clearly wasn't. Um, but you look at the the remainder of that season, and in the 14 games he got something like 28 points. Mm. It was yeah. 27 or 28 points from 14 games, and steered us into fourth position. Um, we played easily at home. And only for a completely robbed decision by the referee, where that was a perfectly good goal that we scored, um, that, that he said there was a foul on the goalkeeper. And then their right back, who hadn't scored all season, scored an absolute screamer from 30 yards. 
you know, ifs and buts, small margins, but, you know, there, there'd be every chance that we could progress through the playoffs. Because yeah, I really fancied us going Salford that season. Yeah, especially after what we've done to them earlier. I mean, we talk, we've talked about budgets before, and by all intents, it sounds like the budget that Brian had the next season was actually quite high, one of the higher, higher ones. Is that right to say? Yeah, the, the budget went up the following uh, the following season. Uh, you know, we backed uh, we backed Brian. Um, but, you know, the, the squad that came in, for whatever reason, did not blend, didn't gel. And, you know, we probably had... Uh, well, we did definitely have our, our poorest season under uh, under trust ownership, despite spending probably the most money since um, since uh, you know since since we'd had um, the ninety eight point season. Just sort of like um, as as I know you were I know you were part of the, the club board then, but you're also a fan. Did you sort of like see some of those players and go bloody hell, what we got here? Um, I, I think when we signed the likes of JJ Hooper, who scored 19 goals in the second half of the season for for Bromley, um, you know, in a half a season, um, I, I thought, you know, that that's the first time we've got a striker who who um, who could make a real difference up front because we'd never been able to afford, you know, that that you know real main hit and hitman really, and despite. Despite him having all of the talent in the world, he just didn't have the other yeah, other bits man. to go with it. Um, and despite what he'd done at Bromley, he certainly didn't do it for us. Mm. So you know, yeah, it, it 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 didn't turn out the way in which we'd hoped. He made it. Brian made a decent start, but the second season, you know, the recruitment was wrong. And um, you know, despite Brian doing his very best. Um, it it didn't work out and, and we had to move on. Look, let, let's get to the end of this this sort of manager, managerial thing because we're nearly there now. Um, so the, the 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 decision to reappoint Keats was divisive. I think we're right in saying. Um, again, I, I was quite happy with the decision. I thought he would come in and reorganise us, um, and so you know I would hang my hat on that. I would say that it took a, a bit longer than than what I thought to get a team to a level that I was happy with, um, just in, in sort of style of play and sort of results. Um, I mean, what's, uh, you've always been a big sort of supporter of Keats. You, you're sure he's the man who can, who can get us up? Well, um, there's, there's nothing, there's no sure with anybody, right? Mm. Um, there's, there's no sure because you're one of... Um, you know, in a normal season, uh, you know, 23, you know, yourself and 23 other, you can't control what the other 23 clubs are going to do. You know, the season that Fleetwood did what they did, we couldn't, we had a brilliant side, our highest ever points total, but we couldn't control what what they did. Um, but Keats, um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, for, for many fans, because he'd left us uh, and at that point of the season, yeah, I can understand... Um, why a lot of fans would be against him coming back. Um, but we we as a board, I don't think, ever shied away from doing what we thought was the right thing for the football club, regardless of whether it was going to be the most popular thing or not. The most popular appointment we ever made was Gary Mills, I would say. And um, 
you know, I would say it was the least successful of any of the managers that that, that we appointed, really. Um, so, um, Dean, if, if you look at look at Dean, I think you've had a couple of experts. You know, I'm I'm a football expert in that I'm a fan and have been going for many years, the same as you guys. So I've got an opinion. I've never played the game at a high level. The likes of uh, of uh, Andy Morell, who you've had on the show, have. Um, and, and Lee Fowler, who you've had on the show, have. And, and they both say the same thing, is that Dean's doing a good job with a modest um, uh, budget. And, you know, twice he's taken us from, um, from you know, the lower... Uh, reaches of the division to into playoff contention within you know within the space of, of 12, uh, 12 months. Each week we ask our guests for their most fearless and devotion moments following the town. Um, so Spencer, this is obviously the moment that filled you most with passion when you were following Wrexham. What are your thoughts on that? So I'm really tempted to go for an on-the-pitch one, but I'm going to go for an off-the-pitch one, and actually one that I think typifies the fighting spirit and the love, passion and devotion for the, the supporters of Wrexham AFC have got for their club. And that, that was a day uh, way back in, in the annals of time when hundreds of us, I was amongst them, travelled all the way to Woking to protest against the United Plot Owners Association. Does anybody remember them? And Andy Smith, uh, who was attempting to take over the uh, take over the club back um, in the sort of uh, Hamilton-type uh, era. And, you know, he that was a, a company that, you know, from the outside looked like it was selling shonky pieces of land, basically. Um, uh, you know, um, um, maybe I, I need to be careful what I say, but um, but it, it didn't look it didn't look uh, the best for for Wrexham. So several hundred of us on the way to Leighton Orient went all the way to Woking, and we marched through the centre of Woking. It was all arranged properly with the police, etc. And several hundred, we had a big banner, and we brought the city centre of Woking to a complete standstill. People have no idea why we were there, but I can remember hundreds of us, and there's this one, um, it's a bit like, you know, opposite the horse and jockey where there's, um, in town, where there's that, uh, like, big archway. But it's yeah, big yeah. archway, and, and it, uh, but it went on for, you know, a couple of hundred metres. So, and when we went through that, and everybody was singing as we went through, the noise was deafening. And you know what? It felt me, it, it really typified the passion uh, of Wrexham fans both then and now, but but what they had to do back then to to try and fight in whatever way they could to save their club. Um, so so that that is you know a, a moment that uh, that will stay with me forever. I didn't know anything about that, which is embarrassing. I should know more about it. I'll be I'll, I'll be honest. There's I been a I... lot of marches down the years though. A lot. Of <laughs> yeah. Did you just want to have a coffee. But it's just that it was, it's just that there was several hundred there all the way to walking to do it. Yeah. That, that's what made the difference. I mean, you know, we marched in Hale, uh, we marched in the town centre, we marched everywhere. We marched more than they do in Scotland uh, for a period. Um, but, you know, but that's all 
that's the only thing that we had back then to try and save the club. So that's what we did. Where are we going to be in 2025, Spencer? Where do you, where do you reckon we'll be? Marching. <laughs> 2025. So you're talking a four-year time horizon. Um, I think the most difficult, the biggest challenge that um, the new owners have got is getting out of the National League. Um, and the, the reason for that, I, I talked about it earlier in the pod, but it's the biggest challenge because sometimes it doesn't matter how much money you, you chuck at it it, 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 it just doesn't work. And will they be able to chuck more money at it than the likes of a Stockport are now and several other clubs who are spending massive amounts of money? So money may not be a differentiator. Um, you know, you, you can look at Salford, the amount of money they spent and they finished, was it third they finished? Uh, they only they only finished a, a point about above us or whatever it was. Um, it doesn't always, you know, filed with their 2022 Football League on their, on their arm, right? They're in Conference North now. You know, it doesn't always work out spending loads of money. But our worst season was when we spent the most money. So um, you have to get uh, recruitment right. You have to get the culture right. Um, but if they can get out of the, if they can get out of this division, then I really, in the next couple of years, I'm hoping it's going to be this year. Um, you know, I, I think this group of players, they're not the best. We're not the best team in the league. But we're not far behind the best teams in the league and a bit of luck on our day. And I think we've got every chance of getting out. I really hope we can do it. But if we can get out in the next couple of years, I, I can see us being a, at least a League One club by 2025. Because I think if we get crowds back at the race course and we're out of this division, I can see with this ownership and, and the momentum behind it, I can honestly see six, seven, eight thousand as a regular crowd at the race course at that level of football you know very similar to what Lincoln have done only bigger in my view and I can see us knocking on the door of the championship by 2025 but the big but is you've got to get out of this league <laughs> and it is a killer as we all know Moving on to the takeover, I'm not going to yeah. uh, ask you uh, to talk us through it again because I think you've done it for every media outlet in the Western <laughs> Hemisphere. So is there anything you can tell us that no one else has heard yet? Is there anything about the the guys or is there anything, anything that sticks out in your mind that, you know, um, that, during the process? Well, I, I, let's, let's see if I can come up with something different that somebody hasn't heard before. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I guess uh, what, one of the one of the things that I did for the early doors was, um, you know, to do some uh, Welsh translation, so I, so so that they could say um, things in Welsh or or pronounce things uh, in the right way, such as the Ivor Williams. Um, yeah. So I did a little WhatsApp message for for Ryan Reynolds, so that he uh, so so that he he said that in the right way. Um, and just little, little things like that. They're, they're really funny guys. What you see on the screen, I think, is very, very close to what you get in reality. They're both sharp cookies. Um, you know, they know what they want. Um, and, you know, they're not just, I, I would say, you get some, you get 
some actors who what they are they they're an actor they learn their script learn their lines and then they, they go on the set and then they deliver and they're very clever at it but these two not only have the ability to do that but they also have the business acumen because they're the brains and the driving force behind their particular projects so ryan's got a whole marketing business that that uh, he uh, that he runs uh, behind uh, you know on the side from his acting role and of course we know he's been involved in you know in sort of entrepreneurship with uh, the likes of aviation gin and, and and others um so so these are smart people who are good at building things as well as putting on a front so when you add that to the philanthropic nature that they've got you know i mean we're very we're very lucky i i would suggest to uh, to have of landed uh, landed them uh, as to become the new owners of, of the football club because I, I think really when it happened it, it it was in the best interests of the club in my view. We had our first glimpse of the documentary Spencer and um, forgive us for asking this. There have been rumours going around that yeah. you were ticked off for uh, a, a ping pong match. Can can you shed any light on whether that is true? So, um, what I would say about uh, about Wrexham Football Club and the documentary, <laughs> <laughs> you're not laughing now. You're you're waiting waiting for it. I, I'm going to make you wait. What I would say is, anything. I, if anybody's ever asked me to do something for Wrexham Football Club, if it's going to further Wrexham Football Club, and somebody wants me to do it for Wrexham Football Club, I've always said yes. You know, always. So um, I think what you should do is wait. And I, I don't want to give away any of the uh, the FX secrets. So you should wait and see in the documentary to see what uh, to see what makes the cut. But all I would say is, you know, um, the I've only ever done what I've been asked to do, not suggested or you know, or, or anything else, you know, if somebody's asked me to do something, if it's for the football club, because it, you know, it's a documentary because it's going to make the club a load of money that they can invest on the pitch and hopefully get us up the leagues, then I'll do it as long as it's not uh, running naked down Wrexham High Street, right? <laughs> um, forgive the pun, but well batted away. They asked me to do that. Well, you're going to find out one way or another, but I don't want to spoil the fun of the uh, the documentary, right? There's a pretty hefty confidentiality clause as well. I understand. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a volunteer, right? I, I uh, anything that I've done for the uh, for the um, for the documentary, um, I, I've not had a penny for. I've never taken a penny out of the football club. Um, I was asked. You know, I was offered a, a crate of aviation gin uh, for all the help and everything that I've been to everybody through the process. Uh, and, and I said, thank you very much. I was very flattered that people thought I'd done a, such a good job. But I said no, because I'd never taken anything off the football club. It wasn't for me. It was for the town. It was for the club and it was for the fans. And, you know, that's the way it will always stay with me. Did it cause any issues, that possible thing that you may have been asked to do for anything? I, th I think what happened was the rumour of that was used by the same people 
who, um, you know, and I'm not going to mention names because it's, it's, it's not fair to do so. I wouldn't like to turn the spotlight on them in the way in which they think it was always fair to, to do it to me. Um, but the same people who, uh, who were at the heart of most of the negativity around the club um, used the same thing as, a, as another stick yet to beat me with, with, with no real appreciation of un- or understanding of what, why, or, or where, wherefore of, of how things come about or, or, or the motivation and why somebody would do something. Um, so, you know, but there's not, not a lot I can do about that. I, I can't, I, I'm not going to behave. I would always say, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And if you, if you live by that, then, you know, you'll be able to sleep at night and, and you'll feel good about yourself. I do think there are a small minority of Wrexham fans who, um, in my view, wouldn't fall into that uh, category. But, you know, that's a very, very small minority. The majority of people are just, you know, the best people and the best fans in the world. When it came down to to Rob and Ryan and their various delegates choosing or stumbling upon Wrexham, was there any stiff competition? Because my understanding, I think I read somewhere that, that Wigan Athletic were, were in the running and, and they looked at some Scottish clubs. Was Did we have to sort of say, you really should do this because you've got the community aspect? and you shouldn't go with them, or did they just make their own decision that this is where they wanted to be? It wasn't a case we had to pitch pitch for it against another club, so to speak. Um, I, 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 what I would say is um, that, though, that Rob and Ryan um, are very invested in, in Wrexham, but they're not from Wrexham, and, you know, they're learning about football. They didn't know necessarily about football when they came into this. So what I'm about to say isn't a slight on anything that they're doing, because I think everything that they've done to, to date and everything they will do is going to be fabulous for our for our town and our, our club. But I, I think um, it would be right in saying that uh, that I did a lot of work in terms of making sure that the... Uh, the history of the club, the potential of the club, um, all of the work that we did in the community. If you, if you can think about, you guys have seen the the presentation that I pulled together for the um, for the for the Welsh government on the redevelopment of the COP. I did several of those uh, presentations for for these guys so that they could um, they could see. And, and you know, one of the lines I consistently used with them is, "Look, in." In Liverpool, you've got two clubs um, with a half a million, you know, population in in Liverpool. And I'm not suggesting we're, we're Liverpool or Everton, by the way, but Wrexham is the only, in my view, I know Conniskey and maybe TNS, albeit they're in England, would argue that they're fully professional clubs. But I, I would say we're the only professional club north of the M4 to cover the whole region of North and Mid Wales with a catchment area of 750,000 people. Build it and they will come. And if you, um, if you put something in Wrexham and, and build it and grow it, and get sustained success over a, over a period of time. I don't believe that there is another club in the entire geographical area of of the British Isles with the same potential for growth that we've got, with the same unique story 
that we've got um, because all of the clubs are landlocked or don't have that selling point. We're unique. We represent something that nobody else can. If you're, you know, if you're one of the clubs in the conurbation around Manchester or whatever, you're not representing a region. We represent half a nation. That, and that's that's the truth, and that's our potential. And, and that's something, and when you then link it up to some of the community stuff that I talked about earlier on and all the presentations and the work that the people have done on that, and you add it all together, then you put that we're completely debt-free and that you're going to, any investment that you're going to make is going to um, is going to uh, be for the furthering of the club, not to cover somebody's poor decisions uh, in the past. Um, and then you add in that we have political will and everybody's nose is all pointing in the right direction to invest public money into redeveloping our stadium. Um, which will automatically increase the uh, the potential of the club several fold in one fell swoop. You know, it that that was my pitch, right? And you know, I, I was the one dealing with it from from day one. But the the one thing, the other the other interesting thing that um, that maybe hasn't been covered elsewhere. Well, two things. One. Uh, one is I was on an early call with the uh, the consultancy, which is a boutique consultancy uh, bank out of New York, um, uh, talking about the club, and they brought on somebody onto the um, onto the call called Rob, um, and they didn't, you know, it was at the stage where they hadn't revealed who they were, um, but from what he was talking, I'm not saying I I, I didn't know about Rob McElhenney at that time but some of the things that he said I captured and then I, I I googled them all to try and see if I could find out who that was and I and I found Rob McElhenney I didn't tell anybody because I wasn't 100% sure uh, but but I knew Rob McElhenney before it was revealed to us so that's one uh, one interesting uh, interesting thing and then the other interesting thing was Rob McElhenney um, you know he did a lot of research he watched our 1978 victory parade around the town and he watched the faces this is the type of guy he is he watched faces in the crowd and said you know what those are the types of people that i recall from my youth growing up where i grew up and i can resonate and and really um you know i, I really I, I can't think of the word in english i can only think it in welsh I, I really you know those people resonate with me in the types of place that i come from yeah. Was there a moment when they were both kind of revealed to you? Uh, yeah, there was. There was a. There was a moment. It wasn't like they were behind a, a curtain. <laughs> curtain with question marks. <laughs> and, and, uh, Look outside your window. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, yes. Yeah, so, but there was a moment where um, where um, a couple of us were on a call where we were told uh, who who the people were, and um, yeah, that that was. Uh, yeah, that, that was uh, quite a moment. Uh, and then I, I guess another moment that I will reveal this up because I'm, I'm guessing it will make the cut of the of, of the uh, of the documentary is, you know, I, I, I was the one who told them um, that how the vote had gone and that the, the vote had all gone through. Um, so, you know, have a have a if it's in, have a listen to what I said 
to them about our expectations of them as custodians of the football club. Because uh, I didn't just tell them, I, I told them, you know, gave, gave them what I thought the fans would would want, you know, me as their representative at that point in time, to, what the responsibility was that they were taking on. And, and they've really, I'm not going to say it's me that they've taken that tone from because I think they've got their own tone and, and would have done it anyway. But that tone really resonates through all of the things that they say and do. I mean, you, you mentioned it there that you're, you're, you were the custodians of the club, you, the, the WST, the club board. Was there ever, ever a point in during the takeover where you thought, oh, I'm not sure about this, where you thought it could be, a, I mean, people have said it could be a PR move, it could be about a, a docu-series. I think that's been proved that it's probably not the case now. But was there ever a sort of stage where you thought, I'm not so sure that we should give the club to two Hollywood Megastars. So, can I just address the second point and go to the first point? Because you, you talked about you think that's been uh, disproved. I, I think, you know, if you think about some of the charity giving that they've already got, I mean, you know, if you remember back to um, one of our disabled fans, Aidan was fundraising mm-hmm. for, you know, to for a, for a bathroom, and Rob McElhenney came in and made up, you know, a significant amount of money to to cover that. They, they've given several large donations now to, to charities in the area. That's the mark and measure of of, of these people. So it, it's not just about a documentary, in my view. Um, you know, they're really serious about this and serious people and, and, and love growing something. Uh, that was one of the first things that Ryan Reynolds said to me is what he really likes to do is, is come in and... Um, develop and grow and shape a business and leave it in a much better state than what he found it. Now, you know, I, I think the trust have done that as well, but we were limited in the, you know, in, in the amount of money that we had to do that. They've got um, personal wealth, but also access to contacts and things that can bring in additional revenue to the to the football club that we could only ever dream of. So I don't think there was ever a point um, in the process where I personally mm. um, was, was um, if you like, thought that this wasn't a good option for the football club. And even from the day one of the connection, right, because the bank uh, who, who dealt with it on behalf of Ryan and Rob is a consultancy who have bought and sold Liverpool, Crystal Palace, Roma. So they're not using, you know, Honest John round the corner. They're using the best in the business um, to do their work, which gives you the confidence that, you know, they're doing things in, in in the right way. And even to, you know, some of the announcements that you might have seen come out of the club today around, you know, the the contractors that they're using to um, help them, you know, advise them on the the reshaping of the stadium is a, is a, is, you know, best in, best in class business, right? That's done, been involved at Liverpool. You know, you'd expect that with Peter Moore behind, uh, you know, giving them some advice behind the scenes, but in, in many major projects across Europe. So um, they're doing things in the right way. And because I saw that early days, um, early days, then, you know, I was always convinced. Was everybody always convinced? I'm not going to say they were, uh, but I certainly was. Very briefly on Peter Moore, really quickly, his involvement seems quite minimal to us on the outside. Is that fair to say? 
it's not really one for me to answer because I'm not involved in the day-to-day -day running of the club now. I, I could only speculate about the amount of involvement the same as you guys could. Um, what I would say is, you know, I, I would expect given where he lives and, um, you know, the, the role that he's got, then I would suggest that his involvement would only be uh, minimal. But the guy's got a passion for Wrexham Football Club. You know, it was the, a club he supported as a as a much younger man, um, and, and therefore, you know, he, he will definitely be wishing the club well. And I'm sure he's got some really great insights that he can share to make sure that that that, that we travel the right course. Thank you very much, Spencer, for joining us. We're very grateful for your time. You're welcome. I look forward to hearing more of your pods in the future. Cheers. 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 Cheers.